Pray with me, won't you? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I thank you for the love that is just so uh, enormous, so uh, immeasurable. Lord, thank you. It just goes beyond the pale of what our minds can comprehend. It just goes beyond. And so I ask you here and now, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to know what we cannot comprehend. I ask that you do that right here, right now, in our midst, in some way. Um, because, Lord, everything, everything flows from your love. Everything. And when it doesn't, it's just so mechanical. It's just so pharisaic. It's just so oh, burdensome. So help us, I pray. In the name and through the blood of Jesus, we all pray. And everyone said? Amen. So it was about... Eight years ago, a pastor friend of mine in the Rochester area and I were meeting, and um, I don't know what had drawn us together, but, um, I mean, I, I'd known him, he'd known me, but we'd had like two sit-down, long three-hour lunches over the last couple of months, and that was rather unusual. And uh, so in talking with him, there was a very difficult situation in his church. Actually, it was a very difficult person. Um, he was very, well, and he just handled that situation with such graciousness. I, I just couldn't get over it. I said, so what? What were you thinking? How did that work? How could you deal with such a such an ornery person? Is such a godless thing that they did. How did you deal with that so graciously? And he said, well, I, I had just made up my mind early in the ministry that I would do everything in love. I would do everything in love. And so that's why I did what I did. I thought, wow, that's... It was really impressive. And believe me, if I took the time to tell you this story, you'd have thought, You'd have thought the same thing, because the person, you know, what they did, what they said, how they acted to him. I mean, it was as godless and wicked as anything, right? And he called himself a Christian. Anyway, my pastor friend dealt with that with such grace. So over the next, I don't know how long it was, it might have been three months, might have been three weeks, I, I don't know. Either way, I would wind up thinking about that every day. That conversation. And out of a three-hour conversation, that one phrase, do everything in love, do everything in love, do everything in love. Right? It only took me between three weeks and three months to figure out, oh, this is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's why it keeps coming back to me. 
So in terms of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, you, you kind of know what you're dealing with here now because it only took me three weeks to three months to figure that out. Anyway, so I thought, okay, God, do everything in love. That's what we'll do. That's apparently the project that you have for me. That's apparently what you want me to focus my life on for a while. So I would wake up every morning, do everything in love, do everything in love, do everything in love. How many of you know that's a lot harder than it might first appear? Yeah. Because even the people I love in my own family are very difficult to love sometimes, right? I mean, they they just are. But I worked at it. I worked at it and worked at it. And it, it was just my, like, project. I know that's a bad thing to say, you know. I didn't mean that people were my project, but it's like this thing that God had me doing. Do everything in love. By the way, I had no idea that was a verse in the Bible. Did you know that's a verse in the Bible? Do everything in love? I, I had no idea. I, I've had how many years of seminary? I've been a pastor for how many years? I had no idea. Anyway, it is 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Do everything in love. So I was doing everything in love. While I was doing that, right, doing that project for about six months or so, um, I bumped into Ephesians 3, 14, through 21. I bumped into that. <laughs> Would you guys advance that back there? If we have to do it like that, we will. Because this isn't there one before that? Doesn't matter. Turn to Ephesians 3.14. Would you? You've got your Bibles. I know you do. Ephesians 3.14, that's where we'll begin. Actually, I've already begun, right? Yeah, 3.14, we'll go to verse 21. So what's happening in this letter is Paul has written to a church in a little city by the name of Ephesus. Uh, there's a church there, and he's written to them, and he has he has said some amazing things about uh, what's happened to them and who they are. And he uh, he tells them, he, he jumps in here and he says, for this reason. Well, what reason are you talking about? And to get to that reason, we have to go back to, okay, this thing is not even close to working here. Um, we have to go back to Ephesians 3.1. When you go back to Ephesians 3.1, what are the first words you're going to see? For this reason. Right? So what had happened, Paul had started his, you know, what he was going to say next. He said, for this reason. And then at verse 2 in chapter 3, he goes on a little excursion. He goes on this little excursion talking about the mystery of of God, the mystery of this redemptive plan of God. 
And so from verses 2 through verses 13 in Ephesians 3, he's on a little excursion. And then what he does is he comes back to what he was going to say for this reason. So when you want to know what that reason is, for this reason, you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, for this reason, and then you go back into chapters 2 and 1 because the reason that he's talking about was given in chapters 1 and 2. So when we look back at the reason for what reason, for this reason, we go back there. Can you guys advance that slide again? That's what I just said. One more, please. And and hang with me because we're going to go rapid fire through these a little bit unless this starts working again. So when he says, for this reason, the reason that he means is because he has chosen us to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's astounding. How many of you think of yourselves as blameless? You are. You are in Christ. How many of you, when you think of your own life, think of your lives as holy? You are the holy ones of God. You are in Christ. He predestined us for this reason. For this reason, He chose us. For this reason, predestined us for the adoption as His sons and daughters. He redeemed us through the blood of Christ. He forgave all our sins. They're all gone in Christ. Next slide. He included us in His family. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us with Christ. Right now you're raised with Him. The union between you and Christ is so one, so complete, so, theological term, indissoluble, that even though He's seated in heaven and you're seated here in Henrietta, He tells you, oh, there's a reality here, friends. You're seated with Me in the heavenly realms. Next slide, please. He promised us an eternity of showing us the incomparable riches of His grace for all eternity. He's just going to keep showing you these riches that are incomparable. He made you His masterpiece. He took us from being without hope and without God to being near to God. He destroyed the Jew-Gentile barrier That's a barrier that's still going like crazy today. Just walk into the Middle East. And He destroyed that. He created one new humanity out of Jews and Gentiles and reconciled them both to God through the cross. He gave us all access to God. All access. All of us. Access to God by one Spirit made us fellow citizens with God's people, made us members of His household, 
and we're being built together into a place where God dwells for that reason. That's the reason. The reason is the entire redemptive plan of God, which Paul bulleted with all of these statements through Ephesians 1 and 2. That's the reason that he kneels. And he kneels before the Father. Again, guys, we're going a little bit rapid fire here. Kneels before the Father, who was identified in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 as blessed. Who has, the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, including being holy and blameless. Praise God. Who chose us in love before the beginning of the world. Oh, try that one on. Get your brain wrapped around that one. Before the beginning of the world, that whole redemptive plan was His plan, and it was put into action that you would be holy and blameless and redeemed. He predestined us for adoption. He has freely given us His glorious grace in the Son whom He loves. He has lavished the riches of His grace on us. He revealed His will and His plan and His purpose to us in Christ. He included us in Christ. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He guaranteed us an internal and an eternal inheritance. He has given us an eternal hope. His incomparably great power is at work in us. He appointed Christ over everything for the church. And this Father is great in love, rich in mercy, effusive in grace. That Father. For this reason, and because of that Father, He kneels. And the word kneeling there, present continuous. It means it's just a lifestyle for Paul. If you believe everything he just said about God the Father and everything he just said about the redemptive plan, wouldn't you kneel constantly before that Father? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. And this prayer that he's about to pray, because that's what we're looking at here. This is a prayer. Uh, Ephesians three fourteen through 21, this is a prayer. This prayer that we're about to look at is founded on those reasons and that Father. How many of you know that this prayer, when prayed with earnestness or whatever it is, and because of His grace, how many of you know this prayer is going to get answered? Yes. So I pray that out of His glorious riches, these these riches, remember just last verse, these incomparable riches that He's going to show to us through all eternity, that out of these glorious riches, again, on which this prayer is founded, I'm going to pray something that God is going to answer through His glorious riches. Go ahead. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. This power that he's talking about 
is the power that he also referred to in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now he's going to describe this incomparably great power. And the incomparably great power is that is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. So these glorious riches that he's going to strengthen us with, that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen us with power. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That power is the power that's going to be needed to answer this prayer that we're about to pray. Through his Spirit, in our inner being. So the prayer here is founded on the fullness of God that we were introduced to all the way in chapter 1 and 2, and referred to in verse 14. This power, or this prayer, is founded on the fullness of the entire Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. So out of His glorious riches, based on His redemptive plan, the Father who has done all of this, He's done it so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell is an interesting word here. Because to you and me, it just means, well, yeah, he's going to dwell there. But as you dig into the meaning just a little bit, what you find is that this dwelling has the concept that, um, that he wants you to live in a manner that's holy because he himself is the one who's dwelling in you. C.S. Lewis put it this way. When, and I'm roughly paraphrasing, when when God came into your life, you expected him to make a few changes. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, you had some concept of this thing in your life called sin that was ruining you to some extent or keeping you from God to some extent. You had a concept of that. And what you expected was that Jesus Christ, when he came into your life, he would do something, right? He'd patch up some of the walls, if your house was being, if your life was being compared to a house, he'd patch up some of the walls. He'd put on some fresh paint. He'd repair the front steps. Right? He'd do some of this work in your life that you could see. But when he blew into your life, he did a little more than that, didn't he? Oh, yes. He started tearing down some walls. He started blowing out some walls. He started redoing foundations. He started enlarging the house. He started to make some changes that made you uncomfortable, that made you think, oh my goodness, I didn't expect this. 
That's because he intended to dwell there. He intended to live there. He intended to make this his mansion and you his masterpiece. And he would be the one, he would be the focal point of all of that. In fact, we're told in Colossians, he would literally become your life. He would become your very life. That's what he means to dwell there. This prayer is founded on God's desire for us to live holy lives. So, God's got us in mind when he's doing that, and he's got more than us in mind when he's doing this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, two very interesting words, rooted given is the picture of a plant, and the picture is that it's been rooted in this soil of love. So what is being pulled out of this soil and up into this life that is ours, we've been rooted in this soil of love and we are pulling that love up into ourselves like a plant pulls nutrients from the ground. That's the picture. The other picture here is to be established in love. It's like setting the foundation. It's like laying that foundation firm and square and perfect so that you can build something on it. A house, a building, a temple, who knows what he's got in mind. All he has is that this foundation that you're on, this foundation that you've been given is a foundation of love. So you've been rooted, you're pulling this love up into yourself, you're founded on, you, there's a foundation that's been established for your life. This is what's happened. This is the prayer. This is why he's praying to this God that something's going to happen. And so this prayer that he's praying is based on the fact that God is who God is, that he's done what I, he said he's going to do, Ephesians 1 and 2, and now he's praying that you'd be rooted and established in love and that you would have the power. I won't pause to go into that, but it is, well, maybe I will. I think it's the next slide, guys. Well, no, I missed it. Anyway, this power is that same power that's being released that we've already talked about. We're going to be established in love with this power together with all the Lord's holy people. This is for everyone. Because some people might think, well, this is just for, for like pastors, right? This is for elders and deacons. I mean, if this is the fullness of the Godhead and all that's there in the fullness of the love of God, and there's a prayer here that we'd be, you know, that we'd be rooted and established that us, I'm sorry, And the prayer is that us being rooted and established in love may have this power together with all the Lord's holy people. We might think this is for the super saints, but it isn't. It's for every single one of us. And it's so that we will grasp, that's the meaning of comprehending, we would grasp how wide 
and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. So this is about this immensity of the love of Christ Jesus. He's praying that we would grasp this love, that we would get it somehow, that we would comprehend the the limitless nature, the immeasurability of this love. That's the prayer. And what he's saying is that you need power. This is from the Holy Spirit. This is the entire Godhead that's at work to help you grasp this. He's praying that because of these incredible glorious riches and all that he's just said, that you'd have the power to do this. And then he goes on to say this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Okay, this is going to make a whole bunch of Southern Baptists uncomfortable here. <laughs> because watch me now. You've got to watch me to get this. Because what he's saying is, I want you to know. I want you to experience. I want you to be able to say, oh, I get it. I want you to know, watch me now, watch me, eyes here. I want you to know what you can't know. You will never get your head around this love. You'll never get your mind around it. Your brains aren't big enough. Your thoughts aren't big enough. But I want you to know something that you can't know. I want you to experience God in the fullness of His love. Knowing God is something that's talked about in the Scriptures. Can we have the next one here, guys? Did I? Oh, man. Maybe I changed it. I'm the measure of all the fullness of God. I, I'll go on. Knowing something, it, you can you can go through and just anywhere where the Bible is telling you something like taste and see. To experience, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? There's other verses like that. But, He wants us to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, if we don't experience this love through the power of the Holy Spirit from the glorious riches of the Father and the entire redemptive plan of God that's put all of this into action or made all of this possible, if we do not experience this love, we will not be mature. As Christians, we cannot be. When he's talking here about the fullness of God or being filled to the measure with all the fullness of God, it's a hard concept, again, for us to think of, for us to consider, comprehend, get our minds around, because how does the fullness of God, how, 
I mean, how does that fill us? Because He is immeasurably large and incomprehensible. One of the pastors uh, wrote a wonderful work, uh, word commentaries, said that he was out with uh, his wife walking along the Pacific Ocean having a cup of coffee. The coffee was gone, so he's just going to rinse it out in salt water, you know, rinse the cup out. And he said, I'm sitting before that vast ocean. It's just huge, and really, it's okay, it's the Pacific Ocean. He's on the coast of California, but it... I mean, it connects to every other ocean, right? The Arctic and the Atlantic and the Indian and you name it, they're all connected. There's just more water out there than you can believe. And he takes his cup and he plunges it in, and in in a way the cup is full and the cup is part of and the cup is surrounded by. And it's a poor illustration, but it's the best I got, best he had, right? Filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. In other words, when you know or experience this love that God has for you, there is this filling effect within, without, above, beneath, to the right, to the left, within, without, filled. Measure. Just permeating every cell, every part of who you are. That's the filling to the fullness of God. And then, now to him is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You've heard that, right? You've probably prayed that, right? Because you wanted God to do like some miracle or, you know, whatever he's doing. But it's not talking about all that stuff, is it? This God can do immeasurably more than all you think or imagine in this sense, right? Remember what we just said. Oh, he's able to fill you to the measure with all the fullness of God. Oh, he can do immeasurably more. It's not that he's going to do immeasurably more than you ask for, so that when you ask for that Ford Escort, he gives you a Ferrari. That's not what he's talking about here. Okay? Okay. Then all we seek or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Notice that the only time when in a doxology like this, the church is mentioned in the same way, and especially about the glory Right? The glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus. Both there. Jesus himself and his body, the church. To him be the glory. To the church be the glory. So this prayer is not about his requests. It's not about his list of prayer things. It's not about that. This request is for the glory of the church and of Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen.
That's what this is about. That's what this prayer is for. So let me ask you, friends. How diligently, urgently have you been praying that prayer? How consistently has that prayer been on your list? Well, I know right where you are because it wasn't on mine either. (laughs) Right? That's not typically my prayer list thing. But when I was on this project to do everything in love and began to pray that, um, all I can tell you is God answered it. It took a while for me. I don't know if it's because I'm so hard-hearted. I don't know if because gifted idolaters, it just takes longer to sink in. I don't know if it was God's plan, if it was timing in my life. I don't know what it was. And I'm not going to tell you a lot about it because I have bumped into people who have had this prayer answered over time in their lives. As God works in them bit by bit by bit, they just realize more and more and more the immensity, the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of the love that God has for them, and they just know. They are deeply, deeply loved. And I even experienced that to some point in my life. But there was also some people... It was almost like the Apostle Paul on his way to Damascus when he experienced God. Jesus appeared to him, and he knew what he couldn't know. So there's also the biblical evidence that this knowing can be, you know, a moment. And it certainly was for me as well. It was more than a moment. It was a few moments. It was a few moments. And the reason I would invite you into the project of doing everything in love, keep in mind, you can do everything in love, right, if you're doing that. I mean, we're commanded to obey him Right, And his commands are not burdensome. And his command is, love one another as you love yourselves. That's the command. But when you do that, you don't earn an answer to that prayer. It's just you're being obedient. And I think with me, in some ways, God felt a little sorry for me and some of the people I was loving, trying to love. He said, oh, this boy's never going to get it. Okay, here. And all I can tell you is when you know you're deeply loved, your faith changes, your life changes, everything changes. Just in some little ways. Um, Like my life mattered because of the things I accomplished. I was important because of the things I knew. I was important because of, that's how I thought, right? And um, 
when you know how deeply you're loved, all that kind of ceases to matter. matter. It just doesn't matter any more. When you know how deeply you're loved, how long that love is, your sins, you know, and confessing your sins to one another, it's just not hard anymore. It's just not. Because no matter what you think of me, I have been and am and will be forever so deeply loved. When you are so deeply loved, you see things through different eyes. And believe me, it's still been a struggle. But, you know, um, my wife, she drives me nuts. Um, so we go through Wegmans. Or, and and she won't buy anything without reading the... You know, it's only good for so long, you know, use by date, right? That use by date. Now, I know when they put those use by dates, it's probably got three months left before it like rots or whatever. It's no good. But like she'll go through those things and it's like we're in a hurry. I'm in the store with her. We're trying to race through Wegmans, get the stuff we need to get out of there, you know. And it's like, where did she go? Where did she go? And I look and there she is reading the dates on every all the way to the back of the shelf to get the one with the most, you know, the, the date that... Ah! And yet, I mean, I was sitting there at Wegmans watching her do this, and it's coming up in my heart again. I can feel it, you know? And, and this thought crosses my mind. Do you know how deeply loved she is? It's like, oh, oh, you mean like that love? Yeah, I do. Kind of. Oh, my. Oh, my. And all of a sudden, I'm overflowing with thankfulness. And she says, well, there's nothing else that really matters, is there? I'll just let her do what she does, because... She loves us, and she doesn't want us to have anything but the freshest of the fresh. And she didn't change. She still does it to me, right? But I'm changed. I'm changed. I'm changed because I know how deeply I'm loved. I went to the... So one of the things that happened to me when I was in Dundee, New York, right, growing up as country kids do, like, you hunt and you fish and you play baseball. That's what country kids did in the 60s. And I took to the outdoor sports, hunting and fishing. I mean, talk about an idol, another one, right, in my life that God had to break. Anyway, long story short, as a pastor, you get insulated. You deal with Christians a lot, right? And you can just surround yourself with them and all that goes on. And so I was looking for something, and uh, long story short, 
cut through all the red tape and all the whatever. I joined a gun club, a local gun club, because I love shooting little clay orange targets, right? I love doing that. It just, and that's from long away, long ago, my gun, you know, my country days. Anyway, um, and I did. I found a bunch of sinners, pagans, right? All of them. And this was the evangelistic grounds for me. And, uh, you know, there's times I get tired of all this, you know, this stuff about, well, what size shot and what's the choke in the end of your barrel, you know, all this stuff. It's like all the same. This is all we talk about, right? And so I would help clean up from supper because they'd put on a supper and I would just help clean up from that. And I was doing that this one night, you know, and the thought comes across my mind. You know how much I love these guys? It's like, oh, oh, here we go again. Okay, I was okay in Wegmans, you know, but I mean, the guys here, they'll think the tears are like, I'll have to turn in my man card. They'll probably kick me out of the club. Um, but this is what I need you to do. I just need you to be here. I need you to serve them. I need you to do the dishes for them, you know? I need you to clean up the clubhouse. I need you to... It's not about the shooting anymore. It's not. You know, in terms of evangelistic ground, it was so unproductive. I wanted to leave several times. I just never felt comfortable. And over the years, three, four, five, six, maybe people in that gun club have come to Christ. And I've had a chance to pray with them talk with him. I could tell you stories about one guy last year uh, that came to Christ and it was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I just have never seen anything like it. And all I can tell you is this. When you know how deeply you're loved, even doing dishes is not a problem. Maybe washing their feet would be. But doing the dishes I can do, right? Maybe not. Not when you know how much you're loved. So, friends, friends, I just want to ask you how about this prayer? How about this prayer? I can't tell you how God would answer it in your life. I, I don't know, but I know this. When you know what you can't know about how big His love is, Everything changes. Because it did for me, and I haven't told you the half of it. I haven't told you the half of it. So I leave you this morning with at least two things. A project. Do everything in love. At least when you do, you're showing God that I'm willing to obey that command to the best of my ability. You'll do it better than me. Anybody pretty much would. But I guess the big thing I offer you, in addition to that project, is this prayer. From Ephesians three, fourteen through 21. That somehow, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
by the very power that raised Christ from the dead and out of his glorious riches. would allow you and give you the power to grasp how high and wide and long and deep the love of Christ for you truly is. I offer you that project and that prayer.